Well, good morning, Victory Hamilton Mill. How's everybody doing today? It's good to see you guys. Well, unless you've been hiding under a rock, this past weekend we celebrated our resurrected king. Come on, the greatest event in history. And it was amazing. It was amazing at all of our campuses, but I'm biased. It was super amazing here this, week, this past weekend. And I just want to give a shout out. We just can't move on on the calendar and not celebrate people and, of course, our Lord. Man, I want to give a shout out to our production team, our worship team, our kids team, our guest experience team, our welcome team. I think we had 150 people serving throughout the weekend. And a bunch of that, I don't know what the percentage was, but a bunch of that was people who'd never served before. And so I want to encourage you, jump in. Make it a part of your life serving and not just a weekend serving. Amen? Just like what Pastor Russ was talking about or, in course, all kinds of opportunities. And we all know serving starts at home first. Come on, somebody. But there was a huge army of people Saturday. I mean, come on, the rain was coming down sideways. It was crazy. And uh, man, just an incredible group of people. God moved so powerful. 26,000 people across our campuses and online. We broke historical numbers right here at our campus. 499 people gave their heart to Jesus Christ over Easter weekend. Incredible. I was like, when they gave me that number, like, 499, can we just like, uh, can, can, we, can we average? Can we do something? I'm saved, you know, like whatever, whatever. do something. Yeah. 76 people right here at the campus gave their heart to Jesus Christ. 76 people, incredible. So much to celebrate. And I know the language, right, about Easter. You've heard this if you grew up in the church world, like Easter is the Super Bowl of the church. And it is rightfully so because of our resurrected king. But I want to say this, for me, every Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday. And every Sunday we celebrate Jesus as a church. And every Sunday we want to see lives changed. Amen. Can we give God all the glory and honor and praise for all he does? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you haven't noticed, we like to celebrate around here. So I got one more celebration before we dive in the word. A couple Sundays ago, we prayed for the Armstrongs, Pastor Jeremy and Heather, as she was very pregnant with child. Well, if you're not on social media, you might not have saw this, but they had a bouncing baby boy. We've got a picture right here. Let me give you the details. His name is Hudson Noah. He was born on 4-7 at 4.54 p.m. He's 7 pounds, 12 ounces, and 20.5 inches. And Jeremy, we know you're watching because I asked your permission to show this picture. So we love you. God bless you. Enjoy your break. And may the Lord give you some form of sleep in Jesus' day. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. We started this a few months ago, and uh, it's going to carry us through most of the year, line by line, verse by verse. We're looking at the greatest message ever preached uh, from our Lord and Savior Jesus. And so I want to open in prayer real quick, and then we're going to dive right in. Lord, we just, we do, we, we celebrate you, Jesus, our resurrected King, and we celebrate life. And we celebrate decisions made for you. And we celebrate all that you're doing in our life. And just like Lisa said earlier, Father God, even when we don't feel it, even when the darkness is all around us, we celebrate that we are never alone. 
And so, Lord, now as we dive into your word, Holy Spirit, would you anoint me for this service, for these people, and for those who are watching us online. And we silence the noise of all the distractions of life so we can hear from you. And we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, this was a message that was preached on a hill by the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And Matthew, the disciple, who became an apostle, was the one recording and documenting all this. And we see it right here in Matthew 5. We've literally been going through all of this beginning of this message. And, and if I was to fast forward to the end of a message, it, just literally if I was to me and get to the end, this is exactly what Jesus said at the very end of his message before he walked away. And it says this. Anyone who listens, remember this is the end of the message, we're more at the beginning. Anyone who listens and follows my teaching is like a wise person. Somebody say wise person. A wise person who builds their house on solid rock. Who builds their house, what he's basically saying, on me, Jesus is saying. Anyone who listens, and not just listens, but follows, does We're doers of the word, not just hearers. Anyone who listens and follows my teaching is like a wise person who builds their house on solid rock. Somebody say solid rock. Why? So when the storms come, come on, not if, when, when the storms come, we're still standing. The storms are going to come, and they're painful, and they can be yucky, and they can be difficult and very hard. But Jesus says we will endure to the end. We will remain standing if we have our feet and our heart planted on him and his word. Amen? Come on, anyone will make it through the storms of life? Hello. Anybody here just like, yes, I want to get through the storms of life? Absolutely. Of course so. No one would be in the room or anybody watching online. No, I just want to drown. You know. No. We all want to get through it. But yet there are so many people who are building their lives on the shifting sands of the world. Come on, the shifting sands, always changing. We serve a God who does not change. But so many people building their lives on the shifting sands of the world, and no wonder their lives are unraveling and falling apart. And may, not, may that not be us, amen? May we be a people who have our feet planted on him, the rock. And so Jesus, as I said, is, is on this hill there and preaching this sermon there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Crowd just everywhere, people everywhere, talking to his disciples, talking to the crowd. And he starts this message with the eight Beatitudes, revolutionary teaching, blowing people's minds because all they knew was the law, and he's speaking about the heart. And so these statements that are literally reflecting all eight of them, his very character, these be like Christ statements, these blessed are you when statements. And Jesus is telling us to be like him. And when we're like him, we are the Beatitudes end. This is where Pastor Dennis ended us a couple weeks ago before Easter, that when we live like Jesus, come on, we are salt and light to the world. When we live like Jesus, when we're like Jesus, we are the salt of the earth, the light of the world, a city set on a hill. And that's who he's called us to be. Amen. And we're not talking about in here, we're talking about out there, out there in the world. That's where you light it up. That's where you're, that's where you're the salt that brings a flavor to this world that so desperately needs it. Amen? And that brings us now to verse 17. Verse 17. And this is a, a very, 
How do I say this? These next few verses, we're going to really park here. We're going to read about six verses, but I got I to get this in us today if we're going to read the next few verses after 20. And let me just say this real quick. This is probably one of the most least understood verses of, of the Sermon on the Mount, but also of, of Jesus' teaching, but it's also the most important. So on one side, it's the least understood. On the other side, it's the most important. And as I start reading it, you're probably like me, because for many years, this passage specifically was the kind that, you know, when you're reading the Bible, you're just like, thank you, you're reading it, like, blah, 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 and you go on to the next, because it's just kind of like, what? What is he saying here? And so we've got to understand the significance of these verses so we literally can live out the rest of this beautiful sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew 5, look down at verse 17, as I said. And if you don't have your Bible, we'll have it right here on the screen. Um, now, listen, any, I got any teachers in the room? Any teachers in the room? Come on, teachers, where are you at? All right, there you are. Come on. All right, teachers, y'all pray for me because this preacher is going to try to teach today. All right, so we're going we're gonna to go. This is going to be a little different. Come on, teachers. Uh, this is going to be a little different as we just dissect the scriptures, but I believe God wants to say something to us about this today. Amen. So here we go. Uh, Jesus says, this is him talking the whole time, 5, 6, and 7, but verse 17, don't misunderstand. Basically saying, just in case you're confused, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not. Somebody say not. Come on, say it like you're a parent that's tired of telling your kids. Say not. (laughs) I did not. My son's over here is like, right, Dad, right. But I did not come to, listen, look at this. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. Pause. Anytime in that language there, uh, anytime you see the, the law mentioned and the writings of the prophets, that is basically a very Jewish way of saying the Old Testament. Okay, so anytime you hear that, he's talking about the Old Testament, the law, uh, the first five books of the Bible, which is called the Torah, right? And uh, and then as you go on through with the you know the judges and the kings and the prophets, all that is is the law. He sums up the Old Testament by saying the law and the prophets, but he's talking about the Old Testament. That's all they had, by the way. The living New Testament was the one talking to them. So let's go on. Uh, So I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, Jesus said, I came to accomplish their purpose. Or maybe your translation would say, I came to fulfill them. Somebody say fulfill. This is really important. We understand this. Stay with me. Verse 18, I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So 19, so if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Come on, somebody say great. That's who God's called to be, the great people of God who display the greatness of our God. And there, verse 20, This is not the end of of the reading today, but we're going to pause after verse 20. And this is where he makes a jab, all right? And this is very important because of what he's saying here. But I warn you 
Unless your righteousness is better, or another translator would say you surpass, your, your righteousness needs to surpass the religious leaders. Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees. Look at this. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And all the people of God said, huh? <laughs> what? What? As I said for years about this passage of Scripture. And I know, I know that's a lot, and we're going to just park there for a few minutes so we can get to where we're going at the end of this message. I want to, by the grace of God, be able to break this down for us today so we can get this, because this is very important, and we can understand the significance of these verses. Um, put to you like this. There is a growing thought in the American church, I hear it mainly in the American church, but it's probably all over, but I'll, I'll focus just on, on America. There's a growing thought in the American church that the Old Testament is no longer relevant. I'm hearing it more and more. I'm even hearing it from Bible college friends that I graduated many moons ago that, yeah, I don't, I don't read the Old Testament anymore. I've heard language uh, on, on, online of, it's just not... It's just not relevant, that word I keep hearing that around the Old Testament. And even people like, I just, you know, I'm just going to live in the New Testament. I'm just going to go there. And listen, church, I, let's just be real. Can we be real up in the house for a moment? Hello. Come on, if you can't be real and honest in church, something's wrong. And uh, I, I, love, I love being in the New Testament. Uh, and, and there are times when I'm reading through the Old Testament, and if I get to Deuteronomy and Leviticus... I'm just like, Lord, you got to help a brother because I'm just the spider in the corner with the web and this and all that. What? What? Like 613 commandments, right? It's like, whoa, I can hardly do 10. And there's all this going on, and it's just you can get lost. And then you're like, thank God when you get past, like, oh, thank God the judges. Oh, Lord, thank you, Lord. Ruth, Samson, yes. And you go into First and Second Samuel, and we love Samuel, boy who grew up in the house. And then... He anoints Saul and then David, and, and we can hear, I'm totally off script here, but we can, we can hear literally the rejection of God. It's just coming to me right now of when the children of Israel wanted a king, and he tells Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me as their king. And so you see all this playing out, and then it goes into the prophets, and all these prophets are talking about somebody coming. And Jesus is, of course, that somebody, the somebody, and there he is in front of everybody, including the religious leaders, and he's like, I'm the one. It's me. And I came to fulfill the law. I didn't come to do away with the law. I didn't come to put down the Old Testament. I didn't come to get rid of the Old Testament. I am the living, breathing testament. I am the New Testament, which is literally, if, if you've heard it before, the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament. And you can find all about the New Testament, Jesus, all in the Old Testament. So Jesus comes on the scene and he's preaching this beautiful, radical grace and truth, which was very different from the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law at that time. And and Jesus is telling them all these beautiful stories that we have documented in the Gospels. One of my favorite, because I was this person, is the prodigal son. 
And he tells all these beautiful stories that, that literally, I mean, the people, the scriptures tell us that when the people heard Jesus talking like, I have, they would say things like this, I've never heard anyone talk like this before. Many times the scriptures say they were amazed by what Jesus said. Why? Because his words were going straight to people's hearts. Instead of do, 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 and the law, 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 which the law wasn't bad, but it was all focused on the outside and not about the heart. And so everybody was drawn to Jesus because he was talking about relationship and your heart and the inside of you that you can look all good on the outside but be dying on the inside. Anybody with me? So the crowds are just constantly amazed at Jesus speaking, but this buzz that's going all around where Jesus is at, people start asking questions like, hey, did you know this Jesus, like they start wondering, is he, is he against the, the law? Is he against the, the prophets, the Old Testament? Uh, did he come to do away with it? So Jesus has to say something in the top side of his message, say, no, 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 you got it all wrong. I am the law. I'm the one who wrote the law. And I'm here to fulfill the law. He literally says, I've come to accomplish its mission, the law. And so these Old Testament writings of all that we heard, he's literally saying, and listen, when you say you're here to fulfill it, that means something's undone. When you say you're here to fulfill it, that means something's unfinished. So Jesus says, I've come, and by the way, I'm here to finish and complete the law. I've come to finish it. See, Jesus is, is basically saying, if we can read in between the lines, that I come in complete harmony with the Old Testament. I'm not against it. I'm walking right in line with it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So when you hear people say, don't read the Old Testament, they don't know what they're talking about. Because the Old Testament is all about Jesus from Genesis to Malachi. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the main character. The Old Testament, the scriptures, the law, the prophets, literally Jesus, if he's standing there, he's saying this, they were all talking about me. Listen to me, church. Uh, you know, when as we go there, the Old Testament stories, I mean, so many stories and heroes, right? Uh, all those stories, even though they were direct individuals, they were all pointing to Jesus. The prophecies, they're all about Jesus. Oh my goodness, and, and too many to count. Even some of the Old Testament heroes that I mentioned earlier and others that I didn't mention, they are foreshadows of Jesus. Jesus is all in the Old Testament. He, he's the main character. And so we got to get this because of where we're going, not only today, but as we continue to study this beautiful message from Jesus about how to live the Christian life, we've got to understand that the Christian life started in Genesis and it, and it goes all the way to Revelation and then some. And so, to put it to you like this about where Jesus is at, some people are like, well, where, where was Jesus? Not only did they talk about Jesus in the Old Testament, a lot more than we know, a lot more than most people have heard about. Let me tell you this, the person of Jesus was actually in the Old Testament. Who do you think walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day? Jesus. Who do you think was, uh, that Abraham was arguing with about Sodom and Gomorrah? That was Jesus. See, God the Father is still on the throne. Jesus was there when the earth was being created. Who do you think, come on, you remember this story if you grew up in Sunday school. Any Sunday school kids in the house? Come on, somebody. All right, the fiery furnace. All right, and that furnace was hot. And who do you think was the fourth man with the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace? Jesus. He's all in there. 
He's all in the Old Testament. He's in the pages all the way from Genesis to Malachi. And after Jesus rose from the dead, he said the following. Let's let's look at it together right here on the screens from Luke 24, 44 and 45. If if you're not sold on it yet, you're going to be sold after this verse, how Jesus is all in the Old Testament. Because look what he says. When I was with you before, I told you, say that word with me. Say it again. When I was with you. So this is Jesus talking to his disciples after he rose from the dead. They're bewildered. They're scared. Some of them are doubting, but they're all excited. And he said, and here's what he's saying. When I was with you before, but that means before he died, when I was with you before, I told you everything written about me. Everything written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and look at this, and in the Psalms must be, come on, say it with me, must be must be fulfilled. That means it was unfinished. Some people are like, I never thought about the Psalms. But if you take your times in the Psalms, it's not only the psalmist talking about what God's doing. The psalmist is pointing to the one who is coming. Must be fulfilled. And look at this. And this is very important right here. A lot of people skip this next 45. Then he, Jesus, opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Well, what scriptures did they have? All they knew was the Old Testament. That's all they knew. They didn't realize that the New Testament was being written right before them. They are part of the New Testament. See, we have to remember before Jesus came, there was 400 uh, 400 years of silence. It ended with Malachi, the prophet. And you ever seen a movie? I've seen a few of them in my day where they just end with this, this to be continued. It is the worst feeling in the world. And it takes like two, three years for that stinking movie to come so you can see what happened. And this is really hard for me to say. I'm going to give you an example, okay? It's hard for me to say because I'm a DC guy. But I remember when I went to see, there's one soul fan out there that said, yeah, Superman. Uh, And and so I went with my sons and this theater was packed and we were seeing this movie, this little movie of Avengers something. In, infinity battle, whatever. I, war. And I'm there with my sons, and the whole room is packed. I think I'm the oldest in the room. It's packed, packed. And I don't know if you saw the movie, but the way it ends, it's just like everything's like, they're all dying. They're all becoming like leaves or something. You know, like they're all just dying, dust. I'm like, oh, this is horrible. Even I'm getting into it like, no, 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 not her, not him. Oh, dust, dust. <laughs> if you haven't seen the movie, you're like, what the heck are we talking about right now? <laughs> and that's how it ends. Like our heroes, half of them are dead, dead, they're dust. And, and when the movie ends and that big music comes up, I kid you not, Grant, do you remember it? The entire theater, and they were young, younger, everybody starts wailing, like crying. I stood up, nobody else stood up. I'm like, let's get out of here. Everybody's like, oh, oh, I heard somebody say, like, in the back, and what the heck is up with Captain America's hair? Yeah. Like, you missed the whole point, buddy. People died, you're focused on his hair. 
But that feeling, that, that feeling of what happened at the end of that movie, I, I remember I walked out like, that was weird, you Marvel fans, you know, but, but, it, but it was this, but I understood in my heart because I've been there before, I, you know, I remember when Back to the Future 2 came out and it's just like, well, what, what's going to, he's stuck in the West, what's Marty going to do, you know, it, that feeling, you might know what I'm talking about. But there's this, what's going to happen? And can I tell you, I'm giving something relevant that we can all connect with, but the fact of the matter is, that's what everybody was feeling. Everything just ended. And then Jesus comes. And he says to them, all what they've known, he says, I'm the law. I'm here to fulfill it. And so everything in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. I want to give you some biblical backing because that's very important to me, and I know it's very important to you. If you're taking notes, maybe you can jot these down. You can look at them later in context, but these are all beautiful. I mean, there's too many guys to point at of the Old Testament. I'll give you some that you know, maybe some you don't. Deuteronomy 18.15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses prophesying about Jesus. From among your fellow Israelites, then he says this, you must listen to him. The reason he's saying that is because none of y'all listen to me. And that was true with the children of Israel. Look right here, the next, the next verse. Isaiah, prophet Isaiah. I'm going to give you three, three prophets. They all speak to about Jesus. I'll just give you three. Therefore, this is Isaiah. We know this one. It's very popular, but I want to focus on one word. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin, somebody say virgin. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. What is happening there? Isaiah is prophesying that Jesus will be born of a virgin supernatural, hundreds of years before. So he's getting real specific, not just born, born of a virgin, way before Mary and Joseph and all that comes on the scene. Micah, Micah 5.2, little old Micah, but you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So now we know how he will be born from a virgin, and now we know prophecy years, hundreds of years before where he will be born. You couldn't make this stuff up. Let's look at another one. Daniel is one of my faves. I love Daniel. He's one of my heroes. I looked, and there before me was like the son of man. That's what Jesus called himself. Was, like, was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Wow. He approached the Ancient of Days, that's the Father, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, look at this, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. He's even talking about the end here. I mean, he's talking about the whole thing in just a couple sentences. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Woo! So what is Daniel saying there? He's saying God's going to come. He's going to put on flesh, fully God, fully man. He's going to have power. And in the end days, everybody will worship him. And then this one is probably the most specific down to how he died. And I'm talking centuries, centuries before. Let's look at this. This is David, the psalmist, who wrote most of Psalms, not all of it. Now, I want you to look at the language because this is very, this is very key right here. I, I saw some things yesterday. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've never seen that before. Uh, just two verses. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. I want you to think about Jesus in the garden. 
what David's saying here. An evil gang closes, on, closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. Why did David put that in? Remember, he is prophesying this. Did you know the two other criminals both had their bones broken, their legs broken, so they'd go ahead and die? But the spotless, no defect lamb, he, Jesus was already dead when they came to him to break his bones. So not one of his bones was broken. He was the spotless lamb, the ultimate sacrifice. I can count all my bones, David said. My enemies stare at me and gloat. What were they doing when he was on the cross? Mocking him. If you're the son of God, come on down here. Mocking him. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments. Look at that. They divide my garments. That's exactly what they did. And they throw dice for my clothing. Literally, David is prophesying how Jesus would die. And look at this. He's even prophesying about the way he would die, which is crucifixion, which was not in existence yet. It's, un it's unbelievable. This final one right here. Isaiah goes back. We know this one, but I this has to be said. This is what he did for us. Prophesying about literally Jesus dying for the world. But he, who's he? He's talking about Jesus, the Messiah. But he was pierced. Man, we just got to read this together. Let's do it. Here we go. One, two, three. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He is literally prophesying that Jesus will suffer for the sins of the world for all time. Church, too, too much. I just gave you examples. There are 300 plus Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. 613 commandments. 2,000 instructions, instructions, excuse me, all fulfilled through Jesus. And now through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, literally because of what he did, the, I, it, it is finished, there's a green check. Come on, you know that emoji, that green check. It's completed. It's done on literally almost all 1,000 pages of the Old Testament and 39 books. Check, check, check to all the way to the cross. Check, Check, and he gets to the cross. It is finished, which what he was saying is mission accomplished. Mission completed. Mission fulfilled. Are we getting this? Jesus is all in the, New, in the Old Testament. He's all in the Old Testament. From Genesis to Malachi, and it just carries on. And of course, we have him. As Christ followers, we have him today. And I think Paul... Paul is, is, is struggling with this. Of course, we know Paul was Saul. He's struggling not about Jesus. He's struggling that his brothers and sisters, his Jewish brothers and sisters, are still living by the law. But I would submit to you today, as we begin to bring this to a culmination, that many Christians are doing the same thing. Not the law, but they're focused, so focused on the outside and looking the part and doing the lip service that they're missing the one who wants their heart. Let's look at, I want you to hear Paul's language right here, Romans 10. 
I'm giving you a lot of scripture today. I can hear my dad. I know he's watching this right now. He's like, preach the word, son. Just bring the word. If you don't know what to say, just bring the word. Preach the word. I got it, dad. I got it. So, Lord, every Sunday I get the text. I got it. I got it. So, am, I, am I right, Lisa? Yes. I'm like, okay, I got the word. Okay. Dear brothers and sisters. Uh, he's one of my greatest cheerleaders, too, besides my wife. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of, look at this, listen to this language. The longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. Let me just pause for a second. Church, do you have that for your neighbors and your coworkers and even more importantly, family members who do not know the Lord? That we would do everything we can to share and shine the love and the light of Jesus to a lost and dying world, starting with the people who are around us. He said, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm, look at this, I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. Why? For they don't understand God's way. Somebody say God's way. God's way. See, they, they're doing it man's way. They're doing it what, man's way. We're like, well, Pastor Chris, God came out of law. He did. But see, Paul... Paul is writing this letter to the Roman church way after Jesus has resurrected and ascended. So everything's been fulfilled now through the cross and the resurrection. And so the church is still getting stuck in the rules and the regulations. And Jesus said, I fulfilled all that. Now it's all through me. And so look right here. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by what? Trying to keep the law, which, by the way, was impossible. Just couldn't do it. Nobody could. That's why Jesus had to come. For Christ, last verse here, for Christ, there's that word again, for Christ already, come on, say it with me, accomplish the purpose for which the law was given. When did he do that? When did he accomplish it? At the cross. As a result, all, look at this. Here's the simplicity of the gospel. As a result, all who believe in him will be made right with God. Beautiful, amen? amen? The old covenant was based around the law, rules, and even, year, I didn't even touch on this, the yearly sacrifice to cover the sins of the people. Jesus comes, as I was bragging on earlier, as the ultimate, once and for all, sacrificial lamb. I'm so thankful for that. And listen, and now everything goes through him. Jesus is the way to the Father. Jesus is the way to be made right. Jesus is the way to the fullness of life. Everything starts and ends with Jesus. And so now we're under, thank God, a new covenant that is centered around a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so now we're going to dive back in. I've kind of I've set us up here to understand these last few verses. So Jesus says, now listen, as he's, as he's told everybody, I didn't replace the law. I'm here to fulfill the law. I am the law. Then he says, and this is what I want you to look like. Let's look at it together. Go back to Matthew 5 if you haven't already closed it up. And he says this in 20, and then we're going to read down a little bit more before we close out. Y'all there? Matthew 5, 20. He's like, this is the way I want you to live, and this is the way I don't want you to live. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You will never enter it. And he's like, and they had to be thinking when they heard this, better than the preachers of that day? That's basically what it was. Better than the religious leaders of, of that day? What in the world is Jesus talking about? 
was I said earlier, the Pharisees, the religious leaders at that time, their righteousness was focused on the outside, what you look like. And how many people know you can be smiling all day but be dying inside? We're good. Pastor, Pastor Johnson led us through a beautiful series, I think it was a couple years ago, called Church Face. It's easy to put on church face. It's easy to speak church language, just churchy. How you doing, brother? I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I mean, you are blessed in the name of the Lord, but why don't you be real, brother, and tell them, I'm hurting. I had a tough day. We get actually needs met when we're honest with God and others. We don't have to fake it till we make it. And that's what they were doing. I want to say that again. We do not have to fake it till we make it. You're in a safe place here, church. We're family here. We hold up each other's arms. We walk together through the yucky. We walk together through the pain. We're with each other. We don't have to fake it till we make it. We just got Jesus and each other. But these religious leaders, they were stuck in the trap of always trying to, buy, to obey the letter of the law. And they were living, listen to me, because they were always about the letter of the law and looking right, they were missing what was going on inside, so they were literally dying inside, and so they were living for the minimums instead of what God wants for all of us to live for the maximum. They were missing it. They were like, don't touch, don't taste, don't go there, don't do this. And none of those things were wrong in itself, but they were so focused on looking right that they weren't right inside. Are you with me? And their inside life was a wreck. Their hearts were dead. They're looking for the Messiah. He's standing right there in front of them. They're blind to it. So they're empty shells. And later, later in the book of Matthew, Matthew records something that Jesus said about them, which is connecting to us to right here. Look what he says right here in Matthew 23. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, now, why did he call them that? Because they were doing all the stuff on the outside, but their hearts were far from God. For you're like whitewashed tombs. Look at this language. Beautiful on the what? But filled on the inside with dead people's bones. Sheesh. And all sorts of impurity. Now, look at this. Outwardly, you look like righteous people. Why? Because they were doing all the right things. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Are we catching what's happening here? Jesus wants your heart. We can do all the go to church, check, this check, do that, check. Tithe check, all this kind of stuff. But it can be just going through the motions and not have any heart attached to it. The religious leaders, they look the part. They're following the letter of the law, but their hearts are so far from God. They were living for the minimum. Somebody say minimum. And that's where I'm going to bring us here to this culminating point of minimum and maximum. And there are many Christians who live this way today. They look the part. They do just enough to get by and to feel good about themselves. But sadly, listen to me, the, the, living for the minimum, the barely, just the bare minimum, when you live that way, you are not experiencing the abundant life that Jesus died for. 
Jesus came to give us life to the fullest, abundant life, thriving. And I know some people struggle like when you hear thriving, like, can I tell you, you can thrive in your soul and still be going through a difficult time. You can be at peace in your heart and, and just chaos be all around you. So when people hear thriving, they hear either wealthy or they hear this or that or all this stuff. I'm talking about inside, which is what Jesus wants, inside. The minimum life, doing the minimum in life is not good. When you and I do the minimum, when we do just enough to get by, it's not good. Let, let, me, let me say this. Now, Lisa, this was really hard to do in the 9 a.m. because you weren't there. And so uh, Lisa, Lisa hung back a little bit because we got a long day with membership. But I looked over here. What if Lisa in the 9? Oh, she's not there. Uh, wh- what, if I, what if I said to Lisa on our next date, our next hot date, What is the least amount, baby? What's the least amount I can do in our marriage so that we don't get divorced? No one would ever talk that way, but we do it. We live that way. We don't talk it. What's the least amount? Now, I can tell you right now, Lisa would have been like, check. I would have also got the Lisa look, which can I tell you, and wives, you got some kind of superpower, we, we live in a small two-story house. I can get that look, and I can be upstairs in my bedroom. She's down on the couch, and I'll say something like, no, never mind, whatever. And all of a sudden, that look, like, oh, yeah, just, I mean, it is a superpower. It goes beyond everything. But if I said that to her, what is that telling her about what I think about her and our marriage? What's the least I can do? What's the least I can do in our friendships? All of us. What's the least I can do with my neighbors? What's the least? I mean, what do I, do? What do I have to do to be a good Christian? We're living with a bare minimum attitude, mentality. What's the least I can do? Listen, if, I, if we live that way or any marriage live that way or any life live that way, that is a miserable way to live because we're not reaching the God potential of walking in the fullness and the abundant life that he has for us. Amen? I want for me and Lisa, and I want for every married couple here and every single person here, I want you to thrive in life. And more than me, your pastor saying that God's will is for you to thrive in this life, even when you go through difficult chapters in your life. And there are far too many Christians that are settling and living life at the bare minimum. We give the job everything, and we give Jesus the leftovers. And that's not the way we're to live. Actually, you'll do better at the job if Jesus gets your first and all, and the leftovers that go to the job will be super blessed. It's the, we got the wrong order. Look at this right here real quick. Give you just an example. My, my language here, but legalism, or what I like to really just call is religion, which Jesus did not die for. Legalism or religion, when, you're, when you find yourself getting religious, you're, you're having, you would never say it, but you're living for the minimums. It's, the attitude is, if, if your soul could speak, it would say, what is the least I could do? But love, somebody say love, or relationship, which is what Jesus did die for, and he is love, and he wants that love to explode in us. Look at this. It's when you're, you're living, because you love him so much, you can't help but live for the maximum. And that, if, you, if your soul could speak, then it would be like, what is the most I can do for Jesus? Let me, let me say it to, to you like this. We were liberated to not 
live for the minimum, but empowered to live for the maximum. We are a spirit-filled people, a spirit-empowered people. And Jesus liberated us, not so we can live for the barely minimum, just the minimum requirements, God, but no, to be empowered by his spirit to live life for the maximum. And when Jesus showed up, he didn't lower the bar. He actually literally exponentially raised it. The one who wrote the law raised it, not to make it more overbearing, but to get to people's hearts. You see, church, again, he doesn't want our hands. He wants our whole heart. Hands represent the outside. He'll get your hands if he'll get your heart. The hands follow the heart, not vice versa. He wants our heart. We're going to close out with these last two verses. Stay in Matthew 5. Y'all still there? I want to just give you a few examples. I'm going to go through this quickly, and then we're going to pray. He says right here about our whole heart, the inside. He gives some examples. I wish I had time to park here, but I encourage you, be a student of the word. Go there yourself and see what the Holy Spirit shows you. But this is relevant to all of our lives. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. What is Jesus doing there? He's quoting the sixth commandment. Do not murder. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, whoo. But I say, somebody say that with me, but I say. You know how he could say that? Because he's the one that wrote the law in the first place. He's like, I'm fulfilling the law, and I'm telling you, you're focusing on the outside, but I'm saying this. Here comes the new covenant. But I'm saying to you, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject, subject to judgment. Now listen to me, and again, I, I wish I had time, but we don't. But I just got to say this to you, none of us in the room, thank God, would murder anybody. Nope, there's no murders in this room, right? Right? So making sure we're all good. There's no murderers in this room. All right, but, but here's the deal. We murder people a lot with our hearts. We've been hurt by people, and we, we would never say it, but inside our hearts, it's just, just, there's no, there's no English words or maybe there are. And we say horrible things about other people. And Jesus is saying it's the same as if you murdered them. Don't murder people with your heart. Pastor Chris, you don't know how hard I've been or how much I've been hurt. You don't know how much I've been hurt. And I'm telling you, we all got to do this together. And Jesus took us to the highway. It's not only forgive them, but he said pray for them and bless them. Bless those who hurt you. So Jesus wants the heart in the situation. Let, let's go on. And then he says, and if you curse, oh wait, if you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in dangers of the fires of hell. Somebody's like, I don't know. This feels like it's a little, we're going up there and the level's gone to another level. <laughs> Oh, I wish I had time. Uh, so if you are presenting a sacrifice, and this is huge right here. This is huge. This is a message in itself. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come, I'll say it like this, then come back and worship God. Then come and offer your sacrifices to God. Specific wording there. Pause for a second on that. I don't have time to go there, but there's been several times in my life, be it my wife, 
or be it friends in the, in the room, in that space where we were worshiping, where I'm worshiping God, I feel his presence, it's beautiful. I, I'll just keep singing it, Jeremy, Alvy, whoever, you know, just whoever it was at the time. I'm just using names, but go for it. Oh, this is awesome. And all of a sudden, Lord's like, you have offended such and such. I'm like, okay, good. Lord Jesus, you're awesome. You're good. It's all good. Thank you, Lord. And, and I just hit it in my heart, and I want you to go to them right now. Now, I'm not saying you can always do that, but Jesus is trying to get to the heart like, hey, your worship is important, but if you got stuff going on inside against someone that may be worshiping with you, how about you just step outside and just make things right and then come back and worship me? But why? Because Jesus wants our heart. He doesn't want us to fake it. He wants our heart. There's been times with me and Lise. Saturday night, I don't know what it is about Saturday night, and the enemy attacking preachers, but man, he does it. He'll try to steal our sleep, all kinds of stuff. That's why I covet your prayers on Saturday night and for Sunday morning. And, and also Pastor Johnson, anytime he's preaching live to all of us. And, there, there, you know, Lisa, say something. I don't know. She just says something. And I just, I'm just like, what? And we don't talk the rest of the night, you know, and just I'm on the slither of the bed just... And can we just be real? Hello? I know I'm the only one in church that lives this way. And uh, I'm just righteous on the outside. But, uh, just, and we'll be in church. And I know it. Man, I know it. Sometimes God gets me on the car ride. It's some of the worst car 12 minutes ever to church. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You did it, but I'm sorry that all this happened. I just, and sometimes we're in worship and she just... She rubs my back, you know, during worship, I'm like, don't touch me. And there'd be a little squeeze. And I know I cannot do this right now, but I've told her before, but babe, we get home, I'll sit there and take it, you know, and no, I'll just kidding. We'll we'll talk. The, The point, you get the point. Whether it's your best friend, whether it's friends, we gotta make it right with God. Quit faking it till we make it. Jesus wants your heart. And then he says these final things here. 25. When you're on the way to court, he's going real now. When you're on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Actually, the language there, uh, the, the real meaning of that is do it on the way so it doesn't have to even go. Just do it. Take care of it. Settle it. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to the officer and you'll be thrown into prison. Verse 26, final one, if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. All that to say, church, as we bring this down, Jesus did not come for us to do the minimum, the bare minimum. He actually said, I want you to do the most, but not in a ritualistic, checkbox, legalistic kind of way, but out of a love for Jesus. Doing the most for God and for people comes out of a love for Jesus. When you just want to live at the maximum for God, when you want to do the most for him, it comes from a love, not out of rules, love. Jesus is talking about us doing the most from a heart that is after Jesus, loving, loving him and loving people. Just throw us some questions to make you think as we get ready to pray. What is the most I can do to love God? There's your first question. What is the most I can do to love people? The people that are in our sphere of influence, the strangers along the way. 
And then this one, because all of us are probably in some form of a situation with people, coworkers, whatever. What is the most I can do in this situation? Not the least. What's the most I can do in this situation? We've got to get away from the thinking of what's the least I can do. Or what do I have to do? And I just say it again. There's so many miserable people in this world because they're living life at the bare minimum. And sadly, a lot of miserable Christians in this world because they're asking, they're not saying it with their mouth, but it's coming out of their life. What's the least I can do and still make it to heaven? What's the least I can do? Let's be able to ride the coattails right up to the, to the glory. And why am I using the word miserable? Why are people miserable when they're li- living at the bare minimum? Because Jesus made a way for us, man, to experience so much more in this life than just checking off boxes. Just the bare minimum. Jesus gave us the opportunity to live a thriving abundant, and yes, I'll even say it, adventurous life for him. Living the life of a Christian, when you're living to the fullest, it is an adventure. It is a wild, crazy, awesome ride through the ups and downs of life, but it is an adventure. It is part of that adventure that brought our family here. It is just incredible to ride the adventure of Jesus as you're following him. And that's for you today. Jesus wants our hearts. Jesus came. And he died so that we could live to the fullest. We could experience the true abundant life that is found in Jesus. That we could start living life in a way that is maximum for him, not the bare minimums. So what this? Just last, last questions. I'll just throw out a few things for us today. Just let your heart begin to go there with God in prayer. What, what, if, what if you and I decided today, somebody say today, that you're going to do something, I'll speak first to our marriages in the room, that will make your marriage go to the next level in God, that will make your marriage come alive? What, what if you just did something? What, what could we do that could go above the minimum requirements? If you're single in the house, what can you do for God? What can you do for God to go to the next level? Not the checkbox, do all these things, do, do, do. No, just your love for him. What can you do for him? What, what if you decided today, for all of us in the room, because it's relevant to every single person, what if you and I decided today that you're no longer going to put up with people who hurt you? You're no longer going to speak bad about them. You're no longer going to murder them in your heart. And I know the pain is real. I, I, I get it. Trust me. But what if instead we start forgiving them every day? I've learned that it's a prayer every day. God, I forgive them. I forgive them. Until one day, can I tell you? It's gone. I bless them. I pray for them. What if you and I decided today for all of us in the room, sons and daughters, do something today that will make your relationship with God come alive? What can I do that would go beyond the bare minimum? Jesus changed my life. I know I speak for every person here as a Christian. He gave me his all. He gave me everything. 
What can we do? What can I do that can live to the fullest for him and for his glory? Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your beautiful presence. We thank you today, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord God, that you're calling each and every one of us to be a people who live our lives to the fullest for you. Lord, not just not a checking box religious activity, came to church, I did this, I did that, but Lord, truly from a heart posture, a relationship of moving forward with you. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room as we, as we just go there. Come on, just go there with me right now. Lord, would you remove in any of us, starting with me, any seeds of religion? Any do, 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 do to feel good to be a Christian. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, God, any, any works mentality. Forgive us for church face when you're trying to get our heart. Forgive us, God. Forgive me for going through the motions at times. Lord, help us all live for you. You gave your all for me and for us. Help us live for you to the maximum. So I just pray over all of us right now and those watching online, Lord, just rid the mentality of a bare minimum. Just delete it from our hearts in Jesus' name. Lord God, rid religion from us. Lord, if anybody's away from you, God, we come back to you now. We surrender our hearts to you. If we've got caught up in all these things, but literally we have forsaken the most important thing is my heart with you. God, forgive us. We repent. We don't want to play church. We want to be the church. We don't want to look the part. We want to be a part. So, Father, help us all. Even those who are in this room like, Chris, I'm struggling. I I feel so dry. Lord, God, would you touch each person here today? Would you love on your sons and daughters as you have called us to be a people who go deeper with you, beyond the bare minimum, but living life to the full, to the maximum for you? We pray all this in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Thank you, church.